Let's turn our Bibles at this time to Hebrews chapter 1 from verses 1 to 3. And today we will be dwelling on Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 2 to 3. And behold the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Spirit of God opens our eyes. Heavenly Father, we pray that you send the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we study your word. And we plead with you, O Lord, that you speak to our hearts and open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word. As a preacher, I can only preach and inform, O Lord. And as the listeners, they can only listen. But Lord, until you open our eyes, we cannot behold the glory of the living God. And we want to see the beauty of Christ. We want to see the superiority of Christ in this passage. And we pray that you send the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Encourage us. Take away all distractions, drowsiness, and help us to be attentive. And listen to your word with reverence because these are the words of the living God written in your scripture. Have mercy on us. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. May 21, 1882. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was known as the Prince of Preachers, he preached from this passage, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. And as I was uh, reading the initial passage that he spoke, I didn't read the entire sermon, but the initial words began like this. Now listen what he said. Beautiful, uplifting, these words are. He began with these words from Hebrews 1, 2 to 3. I have nothing to do tonight but to preach Jesus Christ. This was the old subject of the first Christian ministers. Daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. When Philip went down to the city of Samaria, he preached Christ unto them. When he sat with the Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot, he preached unto him Jesus. As soon as Paul was converted, straight away he preached Christ in the synagogues. We shall not be ashamed to preach what the apostles preached and what martyrs and confessors preached. We hope to proclaim this glorious gospel of the blessed God as long as we live. And we hope that when this generation of preachers shall have passed away until the Lord shall come, there will be ever found a succession of men who shall determine to preach nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucifying. Wow. What opening remarks that we see in this sermon. And on that day, on May 21, 1822, blessed are the congregation who listened to these words where C.H. Spurgeon began saying, I have nothing to do but to preach Jesus Christ. And I would say the same thing as I begin Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. I have nothing to preach this afternoon except to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. The verse says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power and making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now listen to how the author of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 begins 
in verse 2 after mentioning how the lord had spoken to his people through prophets and in this last days he spoke to his son and then he describes who this son is because when the author says that god spoke through his son to his people then it is a very important thing for him to prove who this son is because as i told you in the introduction that these jewish converts were going away from the supremacy of the lord jesus christ and they were turning to the old testament prophets turning to the old testament judaism and he was preaching to them the glory and the beauty of the lord jesus so that they can understand the superiority of the lord jesus christ and this is how he describes who this son is by whom god the father spoke to his people who is the son it says hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 but in this last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things who is it that we see the first description of who the lord jesus christ is as explained by the author of hebrews he says here that christ is the inheritor christ is the inheritor and he describes christ here that he is the heir of all things the question we need to ask here is what is the meaning of heir it is not heir by the way you know we have our own english it's not ei it is in so we 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 create our own pronunciation which is very different from you know the uk and the us it is heir and not heir h a i r is heir and h e i r is heir and heir word here is a legal term which means the one who legally receives all things from his family or from his parents especially you know the interesting thing is one of the reasons why jesus was called the son of god is because he is the heir of all things why because only the son inherits the father's position right and that's one of the descriptions why jesus is called the son of god because only the son becomes the heir of his father's inheritance and you see what it says over here it doesn't say some things or many things it says here that whom he appointed heir of all things whom he appointed heir of everything what is this all things what is this everything everything that is created by god is inherited by the lord jesus christ all things that are there in this universe christ is the heir we need to also understand inherits means he possesses everything my wife and i have some little property and uh, after we die our son inherit that position if someone comes and says that this is mine what they will say that i am the son of steven david and chaitanya and i legally inherit it is mine you have no authority over that because i legally inherit and they have every right to say it is mine so when the bible says here that Christ is the heir of all things that is all created things 
all things that are existing in the universe. So when Christ looks at it, he says that I am the possessor of the creation. I am the heir of the all things of the universe. And these are all things are mine. Now you need to understand my dear brothers and sisters. When we see that all things are mine. That includes even you. Are you understanding? Many of us live our lives as if we are the masters of the lives. Many of us earn money, have jobs and have positions as if these are mine. These are not yours. Your life is not yours. Your positions are not yours. Your job is not yours. Your family is not yours. Nothing is yours. The Bible tells that. Christ is the heir of all things. Which in personal application when you see. Christ says that your job is mine. Christ says that your money is mine. Your possessions are mine. Your children are mine. Your family is mine. Your past is mine. Your present is mine. Your future is mine. Your life is mine. Don't think that. You are your own master. You know, once upon a time, there lived a prime minister who was a prime minister of Netherlands. And interestingly, very few men are like him because he was both a theologian and a prime minister. Can you imagine someone, theologian and a prime minister, and he wrote massive, he was a reformed, solid guy, and he wrote a book, and wrote a couple of books actually, and one of his famous statements, and let me mention his name, his name is Abraham Kuyper, and this is what he said, there is not a square inch, very powerful statement, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which... Christ to his sovereign over all does not cry mine. Every inch in this domain is Christ. And I'm telling you my dear brothers and sisters, the more you know that the life is not mine, the more you know that all that I am and all that I have is his, the better you will live here. The more you think the life is yours and the more you think that all that you have is yours, the miserable person you will be in this world, although you claim to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are those, full of joy and peace are those who live knowing that Christ is the Lord and their life belongs to Him. Now the question that comes over here is that, when Christ is already the eternal God, isn't it? Christ is God. Christ is the eternal God, which means he already possesses everything by divine nature. Then why does it say here in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 that he is the inheritor of all things? John Calvin, the 16th century reformer, sheds light here why it is written that God had appointed him over all things. He says here that, the word heir is ascribed to Christ in his humanity. In divine nature as a natural heir, Christ does possess all things. But when the Bible says that he is the heir of all things, it is in his humanity. I will explain to you later. For this purpose, that he might restore to us what we had lost in heaven. That he might restore to us what we had lost in Adam. Because in Adam, 
God gave the whole earth to him and to his posterity, descendants, to rule over the whole kingdom. But you know what happened? Because of sin, they lost that dominion over the earth. And they have become slaves to sin. And as a result of it, the Bible says that in 1 John chapter 5, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And because of this, he could say to the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, that if you bow down and worship me, I will give you the kingdoms of the earth. Sin has sold the authority given to man to the devil. And Jesus has come to reclaim it back. And that's why it says here that he is the heir of all things. What John Calvin says is two things. One is, it speaks about Christ inheriting in his humanity. And also, that you and I would possess what we had lost in Adam. There are two scriptures that I would like to show in order to prove this. One is, in the middle of the worship today, one sister prayed from Philippians chapter 2 from verses 6 to 11. Philippians chapter 2 from verses 6 to 11. And listen what it says here. This is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God. Listen to this. He was no ordinary person. He was in the form of God. And because he is the image of God, exact imprint of God, form of God, he did not consider himself equal with God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This speaks about Christ's glory in divinity. As a second person who is what God eternally, it says about his eternal glory. But you know what it says later? It says that, but he emptied himself. He gave up his glorious status. He did not give up his deity as some false teachers propagate saying that Christ is no more God when he came here. Now you need to understand that when Christ became a man, he was fully God and fully man at the same time. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. But he did not use his glorious state of deity. He was in submission to the Father. And he emptied himself. He gave up his glory that was in heaven. And what did he do? By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it says here that if you look at the next one, and we see here that Christ in his human form, he gave up his glorious state in heaven. He became a man, one among us, and he gave his life on the cross for our sins. Because of this, because of his humility and submission to the cross. What did the God the Father do in his humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ? It says here later, therefore God has highly exalted him. He was in the exalted state, but he gave up for your and my salvation and he became a man, one among us. And God now has exalted him in his humanity as the Redeemer. And it says here, and behold on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God, to the glory of God the Father. Now we see here that how Christ was exalted in his humanity. That is how he became the heir of all things. 
but calvin also says that that he might restore to us what we had lost in adam now that's what also we see in romans chapter 8 verse 16 to 17 romans chapter 8 verse 16 to 17 now follow carefully what the scripture declares here the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god the holy spirit bears witness with your spirit that we are the children of god and if children now look at what it says then heirs now what did i say to you only children will inherit the father's position only children will become heirs so it says you that since we have become children of god how did we become children of god only through the person's work on the cross the lord jesus christ because the bible declares very clearly that everyone who is born into this world is a child of the devil the little kid that you hold in your hands that child is a child of the devil in need of salvation in need of redemption from the bondage of the devil and in sin and only through jesus christ that we become children of god and it says here that then heirs then heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ now do you see here it says that we are heirs of god and fellow heirs because christ is the heir of all things in his humanity and by believing in the lord jesus christ we become co-heirs with him why do we become co-heirs with him because he died so that he can become heir of all things and in him you also become co-heirs of all things now that's an astounding glorious truth that the bible speaks about brothers and sisters listen to this carefully this glorious inheritance is as nothing to do with the ceo's job of amazon this glorious inheritance has nothing to do with all the positions that jeff bezos owns this glorious inheritance is incomparable to anything in this world because the bible says the world and its desires passes away man shall live like a you know vapor only for a while and then it disappears all that he has naked he came and naked he goes but the glorious inheritance that the bible speaks about here is eternal and what glorious hope that we have so brothers don't worry if you don't own a house here because anyway you're not going to live in it forever buy it if you have it don't set your heart on it because your life is like a mist that appears for a little while If your family is there love them enjoy that relationship but don't set your heart on them because they are going to die and you are going to die The more you set your heart on this world the more the world is going to shatter your heart Do you understand that the more you set your heart in this world the more this world is going to set your heart the more you set your heart on Christ the heir of all things the more your life will be secure in him blessed be the name of the lord and it says here one clause here don't forget it provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him there is a blessing in becoming a christian and you know what is that blessing the blessing of suffering <laughs> and as you suffer and as you go through the suffering heartbreaks disappointments all kinds of difficulties there comes a time where you will be glorified with him 
And if you are going through a difficult time, my dear brothers and sisters, Christ says, persevere. Wait. There comes a time where you will be glorified with me. And I become the heir so that you can become co-heir with me. Christ's death was necessary for our death to sin. Hear this. Christ's death was necessary for our death to sin. Christ's resurrection was necessary for our resurrection of the dead. Christ's exaltation was necessary for our glorification. If he wasn't exalted, if he didn't become the heir, you and I wouldn't become the heir. Christ became human so that whatever he did in his humanity was for the benefit of us human beings so that we may glorify God in all things. And it is for this reason Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1. I am praying continuously that the eyes of your hearts be opened to behold the glorious inheritance that we have awaiting for us. Wow. What a great encouragement it is. I want to ask those who are here. Do you believe in Christ? Are you a child of God or a child of the devil? Are you going to inherit this glorious Hope that you have in the Lord Jesus or will you go to eternal condemnation and hell? I call you, dear men and women, both young and old. If you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus, you cannot become a child of God. You will still be remaining as a child of the devil. And if you cannot believe and repent in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not going to have this cohership with the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the time. Come. Do not delay because life is uncertain in this world. And if you are a believer, take delight, rejoice because Christ is the heir of all things. It is not the devil who is the heir of all things. It is not a situation that is the heir of all things. Christ is the heir of all things. Look unto him because the day is coming when we are going to be glorified with him. The second factor that we see in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, after mentioning that Christ is the heir of all things, the author of Hebrews continues to say, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, he says that, now who is this Christ? He's not just the heir of all things. There is something more. Who is he? He says that, through whom also he created the world. My goodness, he's not just the heir. He is the creator. Jesus Christ is the creator. In father we see the conception. In son we see the action. And in the Holy Spirit we see the application. And that's the beauty and the glory of the community of Trinity. And you know, because of this, we could say that, we see here that the Bible clearly describes to us that Christ was involved in creation. When you look at Genesis chapter 1, you only see that maybe only one person is involved in creation because it said that God in the beginning, how does it go? The Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 begins saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when we look at it, we think that there is only one person involved in creating the heavens and the earth. And the rest of the verses is a commentary of that statement. How Lord created the heavens and the earth. 
But as we go further, there is a progressive revelation from the Bible. Please remember that. Progressive revelation is very important to understand the sufficient revelation of God. People cannot say that, oh, then why is it that God did not reveal everything in Genesis chapter 1? Because God had decided progressive revelation to know him progressively. And in light of what Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says, we can be strong and certain in explaining Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 as a Trinitarian communication. What does Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says? A lot of people don't pay careful attention to this plural word when God said about creation. After everything he created, day 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then comes the last day, and this is what God said. What did he say? Let me make man in my image after my likeness. Is that what the scripture says? No, 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 no. It says here, let us, plural. Who is this us? To whom is he speaking here? The Jews beat their heads. The Muslims beat their head to explain this. Give all kinds of explanation which doesn't suit the right interpretation of the word. It says here, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. To whom is this person speaking and discussing about how to make man in their own image? We look at Genesis 1, there is God the Father involved. And also we see that in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of the Lord was involved. And as we look at the New Testament, it says that the Lord Jesus was involved in the creation of the world. So what can we conclude? This let us is a Trinitarian communication. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit having that communion among the Trinity and discussing about how to create man in his own image. Wow, what a great encouragement it is. And that's why the Bible says here that through whom also he created the world. Now the Greek word here is very astounding, very amazing. If you are a man coming from the Greek, you understand that the general word for world is what? Cosmos, right? The general word for world is cosmos. From where we get cosmology and cosmos the English word also. But the word that is used here is plural in Greek. Right? The plural. You can literally say worlds. So if it is uh, cosmos, it could be said cosmoi. But cosmoi is not used here. You know what is the word is here? Aeones. And what does it mean? Aeones means it is beyond the world. It is not just the planet Earth. It is all the planets in the universe. All time, all space, everything that you see in this universe, the worlds and worlds, all things were created by the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing in this universe that functions without the creation of our beloved Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Donald Guthrie, a very good Bible commentator, says that sonship and airship are closely linked. The air, what is interesting here, is that the air of all things is also the creator of all things. 
After mentioning that Christ is the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. The heir is also the creator. He is not inheriting what he has not been made. Generally, you know, sons inherit what they don't earn. <laughs> Isn't it? That's the reason parents will say, I should store up everything and you guys will enjoy that. Because they don't do what they earn. I mean, they may earn personally, but the inheritance that comes from the father and mother is only because they are the children. They don't do anything for that. Right? Basically. But here in the context of the Lord Jesus, it is not that. <laughs> what he inherits is what he created. <laughs> what he made is what he became heir of all things. And that's why John chapter 1 verse 3 says that all things were made through him. When speaking about the deity of Christ, how Christ is supreme, the gospel of John describes to people that Christ is no ordinary. He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's not just an angel. He's more than that. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the whole universe. And John says in chapter 1 verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing was made in this entire universe without Christ. His hand is there on everything. And his hand is there even upon your life. And all that you have. Because Christ has made it. And based on this, I wrote some words here. So that it would be more explicit. More descriptive of what I wanted to say. The universe doesn't exist by accident. It exists because of Christ from the tiniest molecule to the gigantic sun, from the minute grass to the massive mountain, from the smallest worm to the wondrous human being, from the least angel to the archangel, all things, everything was made by Christ. Everything was made by Christ. Colossians 1.16 also confirms what Hebrews 1.2 says and John 1.3 says. And it is more descriptive over here. For by him, Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Be it, whatever you want to name it, name it. But remember this, listen to this. All things were made, created through Christ and for him. All things. We are made through Christ and for Christ. Now you need to understand here why the author is saying here. He gives a great emphasis. Christ being the creator designates him as God. Christ being the creator designates him as God. And there is a great application that we also see for our own personal life. When you look at yourself and stand in the mirror, you should say that, Lord, thank you for creating me. Do you stand before the mirror and say that, Lord, thank you for creating me? You may be dark or fair, short or tall, thin, obese. Whatever problems you have in the body, all will be restored later if you are in Christ. Don't worry about it. But one beautiful thing is this, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't let people describe who you are. The world has a fallen sight, sinful nature of how it looks into the beauty. 
But when the Bible, when God looks at you, He says that you are beautifully and wonderfully made. You are my creation. And all that He made, all that He made matters. The third thing that we see here in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. What is the first thing that we see? Christ is the inheritor. The second thing, what do we see? Christ is the creator. And the third thing that we see in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 which supports his deity and divinity and magnanimity and also his superiority, is that Christ is the reflector. Christ is the reflector. Reflector of what? He says here that he reflects and he radiates. It says in verse 3, he is not only the inheritor and also the creator. The scripture goes further and describes this is who the Lord Jesus Christ is, that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You know, in the third century, there was a terrible heresy that was prevailing. I'm talking about third century. After the Lord Jesus Christ passed away, after the apostles passed away in the first century, and there was a big warfare that happened between first century till fourth century where the early church fathers had to deal with surplus false teachings and heresies. And one of the popular heresies was Arian heresy. It is named after Alexandrian priest Arius. And you know what did he deny? One of the early church fathers described that this is what this fellow did, these areas. You know what did he do? He rejected the book of Hebrews to be included in the book of canon. Canon is all the 66 books that are divinely inspired, authorized, that we Christian church believes. He says that Hebrews should not be there in canon. There should be only 65 books, but no Hebrews. You know why? Because of this text. This one verse, he couldn't accept that Hebrews should be in the book of canon. He denied that Christ is not the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. When the Bible says here, the glory of God, what does it mean? If you want to know who God is, whatever God is, now listen to this carefully, whatever God is, that is his glory. Whatever God is, that is his glory. His works are the manifestation of his glory. That's the reason Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Why? Because what God does, he is the manifestation of his glory. Whatever God is in his attributes, if God is holy, that is his glory. If God is loving, that is his glory. If God is compassionate, that is his glory. His nature his omnipotence is His glory. His omnipresence is His glory. His omniscience is His glory. Whatever God is, that is His glory. Now what does it mean, radiance of the glory of God? That means God, Christ, shines and shows who God really is. Christ is the radiance. He shines and shows who God really is. And that's why someone said that Jesus is God who revealed God to humanity. Jesus is God who revealed God to humanity. And that's what it means to be the radiance of the glory of God. Ambrose was one of the early church fathers. He's called the Bishop of Milan of the 4th century. 
in my sermon i'm quoting some very old early church fathers of the 4th and the 5th century but what they said is superb you need to be fully awakened people to understand what is said because these guys are from where not from 21st century which the knowledge is shallow everything they speak is shallow but they are coming from the 4th century and these guys are heavy loaded filled with insights when they wrote something and if they wrote such a heavy weight you need to be really alert to listen and understand what is said now listen what is said ambrose of the 4th century where there is light there is radiance and where there is radiance there is also light and thus we cannot have a light without radiance nor radiance without light because both the light is in the radiance and the radiance is in the light i know some have gone Thus the apostle has taught us to call the son of god the radiance of the father's glory for the son is the radiance of his father's light co-eternal because of eternity of power and inseparably by unity of brightness what is saying is simply one thing christ is who god is and is not sufficient saying that christ is the radiance of the glory of god he says the same thing in different words says that the exact imprint of his nature you can even use the common word today and even it was in the first century the exact stamp of his nature now it is said that the greek word that is used there the imprint you know what is the greek word for that character it is character which means it is used of coins or seals in the first century that bore images or impressions meant to represent the emperor exactly you know that in the early church if you had seen in the first century if you had seen some of the coins it bore the image of what caesar's and it should be exactly when you look at it it should not be like tom dick and harry he should be exactly that seal that image when you look at it you should not be wondering who is this guy when they look at it they know that this is caesar's because this image is exactly how caesar look like now that's the word the author of hebrews is using this is who christ is you can look at christ and he is the seal of who god is he is the image of who god is he is the stamp of who god is and you can have no doubt whether he resembles exactly who the father is you don't have any doubt about him he is the exact 100% ditto image of who god is he is the exact resemblance of god's being and that's why i would like to remind once again what i said last sunday when philip asked him show us the father the lord jesus said in john chapter 14 verse 9 he said that whoever has seen the father has seen me how can you say show us the father whoever has seen me has seen the father do you know one thing read the bible from genesis to revelation if you haven't done it and if you have done it read it again and see whether anyone claimed these words anyone either angel prophet anyone exact imprint of the father only christ is the exact imprint of the father and there are three 
insights that we need to learn from this. Listen carefully, brothers and sisters. You cannot just read these words and think that you are getting it. When he says exact imprint, there are wonderful deeper truths in that statement. The reason that he says, which many people are living today and getting into heresies and false teachings. And I want to clarify that. And based on this, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Exact imprints of his nature portrays to us, depicts to us, shows us, reveals to us. Now listen, Christ is having the same essence as the Father. He is having the same nature as the Father. He is having the same attributes as the Father. Why? Because in the first century and all of followed by other centuries and even today, they say that yes, Christ is God but he is having lesser essence than the Father. But the author says that exact essence of the Father. All that the Father is, the Son is. The Father is eternal, so is the Son. The Father is the creator, so is the Son. The Father is righteous and holy, so is the Son. The Father is the Redeemer, so is the Son. The Father is God, so is the Son. All that the Father is, the Son is, and no lesser than the Father in heaven. And that's why the scripture says, He is the exact imprint of His nature. Not even that. The other insight that you need to also see, and uh, when I became a Christian, and uh, a very senior pastor, I asked him, because I didn't know what Trinity is. I was a newborn again Christian. What is His Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? I'm coming from a Roman Catholic background. We're in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's the only thing. I didn't know what it means. So I became a Christian, and I asked this pastor, what is it? And he beautifully explained to me the heresy of modalism. And he told me that I, my name is this, I don't want to tell the name, he's a very key person now in Hyderabad and in the Telugu state. And he said, this is I, I am a father to my son and a brother to my sibling and a husband to my wife. One person in three ways. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself as a father. In the Gospels, God revealed himself as the son. In the book of Acts and the later part, now God revealed himself as the Holy Spirit. And I was challenging with them, group of pastors saying that one among us, I'm sure that he believes his heresy, moralism. And he wanted to test, I called him, right. And I said that, hey, isn't it what Trinity is? That God is one person in three ways, right? As I am a father to my sons and also husband to my wife and also brother to my siblings. And I said, Stephen, this is exactly what Trinity is. And I know some of you believe this. And that's a heretical understanding. Really, it's a heresy, false understanding. That is not what Trinity is. When the Bible says he is the exact imprint of his nature, it also shows Christ is distinct from the Father. Do you know how many of you say that, Father in heaven, thank you for dying for my sins on the cross? How many say that? Raise up your hand. You don't say that? You say that? Confused? What should I say? 
Father in heaven, thank you for dying for my... Do you say that? Why? Because who died on the cross? Now some say that it's a father who died. My question is that to whom was he praying on the cross? My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? He said on the cross. Jesus said on the cross, my father. He's speaking to himself. Hey, my father. I am the one. My father. So Christ forsaken himself on the cross. He was speaking to the father on the cross. Speaking to himself on the cross because they have an no erroneous understanding that Trinity is three ways rather than three distinct persons. Now listen to this carefully. This is very important. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all are equal in the attributes of deity. At the same time, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father and the Son. The three are distinct persons. And anyone who believes God is one person, when we say God is one, it means we say that God is one being, but revealed himself in three distinct persons. And anyone who believes in three ways, we call, the evangelical Christianity calls them heretic, modalism. It is called M-O-D-A-L-I-S-M. And if you are of it, come out of it. And if you want some more teaching and clarity on that, Please understand this, that Christ is distinct from the Father. The third thing that we also see is this. When it says that Christ is the, having the same essence as the Father, and Christ is having distinctness from the Father, it also says one thing. When it says that Christ is the exact radiance of God, the exact imprint of God, it also means another thing. Now listen, very important. God the Father cannot be known without God the Son. Because he, he is the image of God. Nobody can see God. Only Christ is the revelation of God. If Christ is not known, Father also cannot be known. There is no salvation without Christ, in other sense. You know what salvation is, people? This is one thing people think. Big misunderstanding. They think salvation means God delivered me from you know, sickness, God delivered me from danger, accidents, and I became a Christian. No, listen to this. Salvation is the revelation of who God truly is and having that relationship with him through belief in the work of Christ on the cross. Until then, no one has any intimacy with the Father. When you become a Christian, you become a child of God and have that intimacy with him. And that cannot be happening without Christ because he is the exact imprint of his nature. And that's the reason. That's the reason. The Bible says this is the target of the devil. The target of the devil is not to make you sick. The target of the devil is not to rob and plunder your positions. You know, someone says that, uh, someone used the word today, uh, Zach Poonen. I remember when I also became a new Christian, I used to listen to Zach Poonen a lot. Now I don't listen much to him. He's a nice man, but I don't listen much. So, but in my early Christianity, I listened. And I still remember the illustration he told me when I was a small child, early Christian. He said that in his message when he was giving. 
And I remember when I sat there and he was preaching and he said a beautiful example. He said that when a thief comes into his house, will he take the broomstick and sweep all the floor and takes the dust and drops it from you? And everyone laughed. What are you talking? No thief will come into the house and rob broomstick. No thief will come into the house and rob dust off your floor. No thief will come and take the garbage from your kitchen. You would be very happy for such thieves, right? You don't have to hire mates. <laughs> May God send such thieves in our house. But no fool would do that. You know what will he target? What will he target? Gold, silver, precious things. And he says, don't think devil comes to, you know, simple cheap things in your life. His target is something glorious. His target is something very precious. And you know what is that? 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in line with what Hebrews 1, 2 says, it shines a beautiful insight here. Now you see, it, hap- it can happen to both the believers and non-believers. I'll tell you how believers it happen, non-believers will happen. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, in their case, the God of this world, who is the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Why did he blind the minds of the unbelievers so that they would not see the glory of the world? No, 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 no. He opens their wise eyes, wide eyes to see the glory of the world. Love the world, pursue the things of the world because these are precious. That is what he lies to people. But you know what he keeps them from? You see what it says. He blinds their minds to keep them from seeing The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That is exactly what Hebrews 1-2 says. Christ is the exact imprint of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the devil target sees that you should not see Christ as he is. Because if you see Christ as he is, you would know God the Father as he is. And that would be a threat to his kingdom. And he blinds you, he fools you, he makes you to chase everything in the world, making you to believe that money is everything. Cars are everything, positions are everything, identity is everything, beauty is everything. When the devil knows that these are but dust of the house or of your feet. He knows that, we don't know. He doesn't care about these things. His only target is to keep you away from beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even after you become a Christian. Okay, you have a nice token now to go to heaven. Now you know what? Don't worry about seeing every day the glory of the Lord. Praying, Lord, show me. I want to see your glory in the world. I want to enjoy you. I need you. Don't run after. Worry about your job. Worry about your promotion. Worry about, you know, who broke your heart. Or worry about, you know, who is cheating you. Who is doing this or that. Let, let your hearts be dwelt upon the world. And what you do to treat this? Come to Christ. Because Christ is the one who delivers you from sickness. Christ is the one who gives you promotion in the job. Christ is the one who does miracles in the life. Christ is the one who will lead you through the Red Sea. So that you can get in the promised land. And see and enjoy all the glory and the beauty of heaven. Blinding you that Christ is the greatest treasure of your life. That promised land is nothing but Christ. That heaven is nothing but Christ. Gospel is nothing but Christ. And nothing else. 
And how many believers are deceived, even here some of you, not longing, beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus. Lord, I want to know you. As Moses said that, even after tearing apart the Red Sea, right before his eyes, did you ever see a sea being torn apart? He saw the Red Sea. He saw the stones being broken by the voice of the Lord. He saw the water gushing out of the rock. He saw amazing miracles, the pillar of cloud as a light in the night and as a protection in the daytime. He saw everything. I don't understand what this man says in Exodus 33. Show me your glory. I think if you and I watch that scene of tearing apart of the Red Sea, this is enough for God. I will spend the rest of the time telling people what I saw. You know, one day I went and God tore apart the Red Sea. And that is your testimony. All speak all the time about the past. This is what has happened. Nothing in the present. No more beholding the glory. No more growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just speak about your past experience. No. We have to grow in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. People, please, don't let the devil blind you. Whether you are a believer or an unbeliever. Remember that the glory of God is the greatest knowledge the greatest study, the greatest experience, the greatest sight, and the greatest of all the great things in the world. And that is what the devil tries his best to rob you from. Shall we all pray at this time? Lord, I want to know you, O Lord. More than sickness in my sick body, more than anything that I am troubled about in my job, more than what's happening in my family, Lord, I want to know you because you are my greatest need. And when I have you in my life, you will handle everything in my life. Don't see Christ, people, as a ladder of success in your life. Christ is the only success of your life. There is no more success, nothing apart from Christ. Christ is our greatest need. And let's pray at this time, Lord, I want to behold you, Lord. Lord, if I set my heart in this world, this world is going to wreck me. No man, no woman, no job, no money, no position, nothing in this world is going to keep me happy, secure, save me. Christ is. He is the one who made you and me. He is the one who is the heir of all things and one day you will become co-heir with him. He is the one who is the exact imprint of who God is. And that's what we want. Heavenly Father, forgive us, O oh Lord, for chasing the dust of the world, which is going to pass away very soon. Lord, forgive our sin for not loving you with all of our being and loving the things of the world and pursuing the affairs of the earth. Lord, forgive us, O oh Lord, for yielding to the temptation of the enemy who constantly blinds us from beholding the glory of the Lord. And I pray, O oh Lord, at this time, there are some children of the devil here, children who are walking with the devil, children who do not know the gospel, believe the gospel, they hear, but they don't repent and believe. I pray for those children of the devil, right from the babies to the one who are grown up, who are not saved, who don't have Christ, who is not the child of God, pray that Christ would shine in their lives and that they would repent and turn to Christ, who is their only Redeemer, Savior, who died for them and rose from the dead. 
And pray also, Lord, for us believers here who live everyday Christian life, read the Bible, hear sermons, but not behold the glory of Christ. Pray that you please to open our eyes to behold your beauty and glory constantly. Lord, if you are infinite, what all the experience we have in the past and what all that we are going through now is only a dot in eternity, O oh Lord. And maybe not fall into complacency, self-sufficiency. I know enough is the worst statement that we can make in Christian life. That's the death of Christian life. Give us that insatiable hunger and thirst for you. We need you, O oh Lord. We need you. Help us to crave you more than anything. Love you more than anything. Desire you more than anything. Trust in you more than anything. Because you are the ultimate, absolute, eternal treasure. And where there is the treasure, there the heart is. And where is our heart, O Lord, this morning? That's what our treasure is. But let me, let us all turn to Christ, who is our eternal treasure. May we love you, O Lord. Once again, we thank you that you are the heir of all things. And we are going to join with you soon when we die. That's the glory of us. And thank you for making us fearfully and wonderfully. And you own us, O Lord. You own our lives. None own us except you. And thank you that you reveal the Father to us by coming in the form of a man and dying for us and now exalted at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And one day we all look forward to meeting you, O Lord. Some of us are living even without any longing to see Jesus, not even thinking about the second return of the Lord Jesus. So absorbed, O Lord, in this passing world. Open our eyes, O Lord, not to be fooled. Be diligent in our earthly responsibility, but long for the Lord Jesus to come from heaven and take us to be with him forever and ever. Awaken us, O Lord, for many of us are slumbering in our spiritual life. Awaken us, show us Christ. And make us lovers of Christ. Make us people who love, who love Christ, to live for Christ and die for Christ. May we not live a superficial, little better Christian life, which is the worst thing than an unbeliever. May we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Christ because he is worth it. He is worth it. And nothing is worthy than him. In Jesus' name, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen.